chapter number eight. It's going to be good. I plan to preach a long time. My wife said one time to me, I asked her, I made the mistake of asking her how my preaching was. She said, well, it's awfully long. <laughs> I said, uh, but did you think it was good? She said, well, just keep this in mind. I think you study hard, and the people know you study hard, but they don't want to know everything you studied. <laughs> Wives are brutally honest. <laughs> we sure appreciate you being here today, and this is a grand day of celebration. Now, let me just say this. Uh, this is the first Sunday in October. And we always celebrate our church's anniversary, first Sunday in October. And sometimes people say, well, man, if I'd known, I would have come. And so I'm telling you now, next October, a year from now, I can already tell you when it will be. It will be the first Sunday in October like it has for 26 years. (laughs) And so mark it on your calendar. I don't encourage people to play on their phones a lot in church, but if you want to take your calendar out right now and mark the first Sunday In October of 2024, we will plan on having you that day for our celebration. We're in Matthew, or I started saying Matthew, Nehemiah, chapter number 8. I want to preach on the subject, Renewal and Rejoicing. Our conference that starts tonight at 6 o'clock and 6.30 the rest of the nights through Wednesday is called our Renewal Conference. And I wanted to begin today and combine the two thoughts of renewal and anniversary. We're thinking back as we go into Nehemiah chapter 8 about what's happened here for these Jews in Israel and today as we celebrate through our testimonies, our songs, and even the message, we, we go back in time to kind of get a hold of our roots once again. And maybe you can do that even personally, even if you're not part of this particular church. Let me ask you a question to get started. Do you ever get lost when you're looking for an address? Isn't GPS a wonderful thing On your phone, (laughs) I used to travel a lot in the old days when you had a paper map, you know, that thing you'd unfold and it'd be this wide and you'd never get it put back together again. And finding an address, well, it was an art. But since they've got GPS on your phone now, man, it's just as simple as clicking in the address you're looking for and it will take you there (laughs) and you can go to some address. Yes, it will. Don't argue with me. (laughs) Just like my wife. She says, don't use that thing. It doesn't know. I know. She's like a homing pigeon. She doesn't go by street addresses or street names. She goes by this big tall oak tree on the side of the road, and then there's a cow standing over in the pasture on this side, and that's where you turn. Uh, GPS is a great thing. You can key in an address in New York City, drive nearly 2,000 miles up there, arrive at that address, and then punch home on it, and it'll bring you all the way back home. And 
GPS is great, but it's not always been great. When it first got introduced, I had a, the, one of the first GPS applications on my laptop. <laughs> and I didn't, they didn't have phones with GPS back then, so I would use my laptop and experiment with this GPS on it and type in an address, and you had to choose all sorts of things. Do you want to go on the interstate? Do you want to avoid gravel roads or toll roads and things like that? And so I was going to preach a revival up in Missouri, and my wife was going with me. We were going to be gone for several days. I keyed in the address on that laptop and put it on the seat between us. She said, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm going to get us up to Brother Rhodes' church by using the laptop. She said, we've been there before. We know how to get there. I said, we're going to follow this GPS. This time there may be a shorter way that we've never known before. So I set the GPS and off we went. We got up close to the Missouri border somewhere and I'm following that thing. She said, I don't think that's the way. I said, yeah, that thing knows. It's going to take us the right way. It's just a different way. She said, I don't think it's going to take us there. I said, just, just hold on to your wig, lady. It'll get us there. And so I kept following that thing. And we got down from a four-lane to a two-lane. And we got down from a two-lane to a single lane. We got down from a single lane to a, an old gravel farm road. She said, see, it's not going to take us to the right place. This is not going to. She said, even if this is a shortcut, it's going to take us forever to get there. I said, it'll get us there. This thing knows what it's doing. We got beyond the trees and found our front wheels on the edge of a lake, and the road stopped. <laughs> She said, so it's going to get us there, huh? How are we going to get through this lake? I said, well, just a little glitch. <laughs> she said, let me tell you how to get us out of here. And so we, we finally got to the church where we were going. Man, I'm telling you, GPS is a great thing. And when you need to know where you're going, it's good to have a thing like GPS that can get you there and get you back. And in re- rehearsing our church history... It's kind of like GPS has taken us back there where we used to be and then bringing us back where we are today. That's what we're trying to do. Some, some churches call such a day as this, and I, it may be a little bit different, but they call it a homecoming Sunday. And everybody's ever had anything to do with that church or ever visited that church or family or friends of people in the church, they come and they call it homecoming Sunday. Well, my wife and I went to a homecoming yesterday, a, a reunion at our high school, and uh, it's been a long time ago since I graduated, but a few of the people still remembered me. But I, I saw a lot of folks that were old. And I told my wife, I said, have you noticed how old those, some of those folks really look? She said, yeah. And they're sitting over there whispering that about us. <laughs> I said, no. We got to see some people at homecoming and at such a place as this today it's kind of like homecoming we get to see some faces we haven't seen in a while and we're really grateful you're here the people of Israel in our text that we're going to read uh, in Nehemiah chapter 8 beginning in verse number 9 had a homecoming they'd been away for 70 years God had given them warnings they didn't follow his advice his commands They were disobedient, and so God let them be carried away captive into Babylon. After 70 years, they get to come back home and back to their homeland of Israel. 
And when they get there, they rebuild the walls that were torn down during the time of the siege against their city when they were taken captive 70 years prior. And so they're beginning to build some things back, thinking about reestablishing their worship with the Lord after being gone in an idol-worshiping country for 70 years. And here's where we take up. They're back. They've built the walls. And now they're having a homecoming day. Are you with me? Chapter 8, verse number 9. And Nehemiah, which is the Tershatha, and Ezra the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people, said unto all the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not, nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites stilled all the people, saying, Hold your peace, for the day is holy. Neither be ye grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions to, uh, to make great mirth, because they had understood the words that were declared unto them. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that you'd bless as we look into the Word of God and try to get our GPS set back homeward once again. Lord, give us a reset today. I pray you'd bless us. May the Holy Spirit show us from the Word of God that which is important in our own lives and hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, these folks got resettled in their land. They got recharged, renewed, and they're ready to do something that they hadn't got to do in a long, long time since they've been carried away captives. Now, there's three things that I want to mention this morning that happened for them that might be important to you and me. Uh, the, the Word of God was preached. Let's go back to verse number one. We didn't read that. There was a preaching of the Word of God that happened that day. They've gathered everybody together that's uh, at this big homecoming celebration. They've gathered everybody together. And Nehemiah says, Ezra, I think you need to preach. And boy, the Bible says they built a platform up there and they just preached the Word of God and some things happened. Notice why these things happened. And if you need a reset in your life, these three things can help you to be reset rehomed and rejuvenated, renewed and ready to go again for God, maybe better than ever before. Number one, there was an intellectual response to the word that was preached. Verse number one says, All the people gathered themselves together as one man in the street that was before the water gate. I guess you'd call this the Watergate revival. Most of you don't know anything about Watergate, probably. That's been a long time ago. Richard Nixon, I'm not a I'm not a crook. And so these people had a, they had a renewal, they had a revival, and the Word of God was preached, and it says that they gathered themselves together. Do you understand how important it is and what a difference it makes in your spiritual life when you gather together with God's people? These people didn't go off over here in a corner one by one and one over yonder and all the corners of the kingdom to worship the Lord and to get renewed. You know what they did? They come together just like you are today. That's why church is important. You come together. And that's what these testimonies have been about. 
It says they gathered themselves as one man under the street. They were so united. They had such unity. They loved each other. They loved the Lord. They gathered together, and it was kind of like one man. And that's why the church is called a body. It's because we're like one person, and each of us is part of that same body. And then he says, And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. Now the, the book that they had in those days wasn't as big as the book we've got since the rest of the revelation of God has been completed. We have a completed Bible today and it's got everything God wanted us to know right here. But then they had the book of the law of Moses. And so where their renewal and their rejuvenation, listen, where it started was when they got the book out and said, you know, it's important that we find out what God wants. And this is the only place you can find it. You can't go by what Aunt Susie says. You've got to go by what God says. You can't go by what Dr. Smellfungus says. You've got to go by what God says. And so they got the Bible out. And i just like to emphasize how important it is wherever you go to church, the main emphasis ought to be the preaching of the Word of God. Boy, if it's that, you've you got your GPS started in the right direction. It says in verse 2, And Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding. Upon the first day of the seventh month, now we meet as a church in New Testament times, we meet on the first day of every week, on Sunday. That's what the, the Bible prescribes. That's what the apostles did. And so we meet. And we meet every Sunday and get together. Verse number 3 says, And he read therein before the street, that was before the water gate, from the morning until midday. Man, from morning till midday? That's a lot of reading. I mean, they got the Bible out, and they read from morning till noon. You know what's missing in a lot of Christianity today? is not just a lip service to the Word of God, but an actual practice of using the Word of God. You know, we can say we love the Lord, but we need to love His Word to know how to love Him. And this is His Word. Those folks were serious about, they were serious about serving God. They got the Bible out, and man, the preacher got up and started preaching it and reading it. And he said, and he read therein before the street, that before the water gate, from the morning until midday, before the men and the women and those that could understand, and the ears of all the people were, somebody got that next word? The ears of all the people were attentive. What does that mean? They were paying attention. Attentive. They're saying, this, this is the very word of God. It's important that I understand what God's saying. This is not just a bunch of opinions some man wrote down in the sermon. It's the word of God. And boy, how important that is. And then in verse number 4, it says, And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood which they had made for the purpose. They didn't have manufacturing plants as like we do today. And so we got a factory-made pulpit here. What they had, they built a, like a big old scaffold, a platform out of wood, and evidently had something to lay the, the Bible on. And they called that whole thing the, the pulpit where the preacher stood and the sacred desk on which he laid the Word of God. And they built this. This was the centerpiece of their worship for God. 
the Word of God and hearing the Word of God brought to them. And so these folks were really, really serious about the renewal. And beginning in, well, in the middle of verse 4, he starts to name off a whole bunch of Jewish guys. It's got funny names. And then in verse 5, it says, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. Now, when it says he was above all the people, it doesn't mean he was more important than anybody else. It just means that he was standing on a platform where he could be seen and heard. They didn't have a sound booth, and they didn't have a PA set. And so the natural voice had to carry. So they built a platform so the voice would carry out over the crowd. There were thousands and thousands of people to hear the preacher. And it says he opened the book in the sight of all the people. You know what he wanted? He wanted the people to know this is the centerpiece of what we're doing. This is what matters. The intellectual response to the word was they understood it. Look... Look with me, and uh, it says in verse number 6, And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting up their hands. Well, I just thought Pentecostals did that. (laughs) Here we got a bunch of Jews doing it, don't we? I wonder if we lifted up our hands or a hand and said Amen. I wonder if our arm would fall off and we'd lose our voice. It didn't for them. Sound like they were having a pretty good time shouting amen as the preacher read the word of God and preached the word of God. Man, they were into it. They were, they were back saying, like uh, you say, sick them to a bulldog. They're saying, come on, preacher, lay it out to preach to us. Let us hear the word of God. And he's laying it out there in the old vernacular of the Alabama preachers. He had, he had said, I'm going to hoe down your row. I'm hoeing the corn. <laughs> and so they were doing the preaching. And the people were enjoying it. They were They were intellectually getting into it. Do you know, it's hard to serve the Lord and obey the Lord if we don't understand what He's saying. And so that's why a sermon must be saturated with the Word of God or we're just going by what somebody thought or said. Amen. So there was an intellectual response. Getting their renewal came by understanding. That's why I encourage people to read your Bible daily. Study that thing. You know, there's such thing as reading it for content, reading it for speed. Uh, it's good to do both. Read the whole Bible through and through to kind of get your bearings on what the whole Bible's about and where the books are located and certain subjects are located. But then it's good to take a little passage of Scripture like we're doing right now and take that little passage of Scripture and on your own time just Maybe Monday morning, Tuesday morning, devotion time. Take that little section of Scripture and study that thing thoroughly. Pray over it. Define the words in it. Words mean something. (laughs) Yeah. Words mean something. It says in in verse number 6, All the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. I don't think they were having a rock concert. They were were serious and sincere, worshipping the Lord. You know, most of the time in the Bible, if you find the word worshipping, a lot of times you'll find that people are humble, not proud and arrogant, trying to make themselves the center of attention. 
people who are worshiping, most often in the Bible, you'll find them with their faces on the ground. Man, they're humble. And they're serious about serving God. Now notice also in verse number 8, it says, So they read in the book of the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. Now here's something I, anytime I get to give some advice to younger preachers, I point to this one a lot. They read the law of God distinctly. That means that they were able to read the words that were in there. If it's important to preach the Word of God, it's important to get out a dictionary and learn to pronounce the words and the definitions of the words and really know because people will judge you whether it's right or not. They will judge you by the way you speak about the words of God. And so it says they gave the, the word distinctly and then gave the sense. In other words... They read it clearly, pronounced the words succinctly and distinctly, and then they gave the meaning. What does this actually mean? What's this saying? And then it says, and caused them to understand the reading. So since we read the Word of God and we hear the Word of God preached, every, every message ought to end if we've paid attention to it, it ought to end with the thought in our mind, I've grasped something here today. I've understood. And if the preacher doesn't do a good job of getting that understanding across, then he's failed. If we don't do a good job listening, then we failed. (laughs) And so they understood. In other words, when we get through with the message, we ought to be able to ask the question, so what? (laughs) So what? You read it, you preached it, so what? Well, the so what is, now what do I do? Because I've heard the Word of God, I understood the Word of God, God expects me to do something. And that's where the understanding part comes in. And so they understood it intellectually. And then there's a second thing, there was an emotional response to the Word. It touched their hearts. In verse number 9, And ask yourself this question. When I hear the Word of God or I read the Word of God, does it actually touch my heart? Or am I reading it like a phone book? Verse 9 says, And Nehemiah, which is the Tershitha, Ezra the priest, the scribe, and the Levites, that taught the people, said unto the people, This day is holy unto your Lord God. Mourn not, nor weep. Wait, why does he tell them not to mourn and weep? Because they were mourning and weeping. <laughs> they were mourning and weeping. Why are they weeping? Because the Word of God has been left to the side. There's, there's not been any preaching much of the Word of God. They've been carried away captive in Babylon. And there's not been much practicing of the Word of God. Nobody knows much about the Word of God. And that's why they had to be so careful about expounding the Word of God so that people actually understood what was being said. And when they understood it, man, when this touched their heart, they began to weep. This was doing something in their heart. Boy, I hate dry-eyed Christianity in myself, and I suppose you probably do too. It ought to do something to our emotions when we realize that God has spoken, and because He's spoken, He wants us to do something, understand something, and be about the Father's business. Well, 
there was an emotional response to the word. It touched their hearts. And then he said, weep not. He said, now, here's what I want you to do. You've, in your heart, you've, you've realized we've been away from the word of God. We've been away from God's homeland. We're home now. So weep not. You made a decision in your heart to follow God. So the weeping's over. Now let's celebrate. And he said, let's cook some pork barbecue. Well, no, they were Jews. They couldn't do that. (laughs) And so he said, "Let's, let's have a big celebration. They found out that they had been neglecting the Feast of Tabernacles and that was part of what was prescribed to them as Jews in Leviticus and in Deuteronomy. They're supposed to build these booths and dwell in those booths out under the open sky and that was part of their celebration as Jews. I'm glad you and I don't have to do that. We're in the New Testament time and we can go in the church house where there's air conditioning and padded pews and a roof over our head. They restored their worship And celebration came, now get this, the celebration came after the weeping. They got things right with God, and then there was rejoicing. You can't rejoice until after repentance. Verses 9 through 12 talk about this emotional response to the Word of God. And then verses 13 through 17, and I'll try to move a little quicker here. Verse 13 through 17 talks or 18 talks about that restoration of the Feast of Tabernacles where they were actually doing what they were supposed to be doing. You know what? You and I, you and I have sometimes have a problem. Are you listening? You and I have a problem sometimes. We, we may have had a place in the past, a time in the past where we were excited about the things of God, but we let them slip. And so the thrill is gone. And the excitement's not there anymore. The anticipation of what God might do in our life is just not there. And things are dull and drab and dry. And maybe it's because of where we've been hanging out, who we've been hanging with, places we've been going, the neglect of the house of God. Maybe it's because of that. But these people said, man, we, we understand the Word of God intellectually. It's touched our heart emotionally. Now we're going to do something about it. We're getting back to where we're supposed to be. We're going to do what God said back there about the Feast of Tabernacles. And you and I, we don't have the Feast of Tabernacles to obey, but what else can we find in the New Testament that we ought to be doing? What about church attendance? What about witnessing to the lost? What about singing in the congregationals? What about volunteering to work in some service of the church? Thank the Lord for everybody who's been working days and days before this celebration day that we're in right now. There's people who've been investing a lot of hours in doing things. Thank God for all that preparation, planning, work, and performance of it today. There might have been a time when Christianity was sweeter. But we've wandered and we need to get that GPS reset to get us back home again. Sometimes people have wandered away from the Lord or maybe never have come to the Lord in the first place 
And because things in their life has kind of gone haywire and things don't seem to be working out and they feel badly in their heart that things are just not working. Maybe even angry. You ever get mad at God? People do. There's a story of the circus elephant. In England years ago, his name was Bozo. He was very popular with people. And families would come and throw peanuts through the bars to Bozo and feed him peanuts. And one day something happened. The way he changed, his personality changed. And, and he tried to kill his caretaker. And the people would come up to the cage, he would charge at them. I mean, he just turned hateful and mean. And the owner of the circus, afraid that he's going to finally kill somebody, and he decided he was a money grubber, and so he decided he could make some money out of this, so he announced that the elephant was going to be destroyed. And he hired a firing squad to come and, and invited, sold tickets for people to come and see the elephant get killed. And so they've got the elephant in the cage, and the crowds are there anticipating what's going to happen. The firing squad's ready to shoot the elephant. And just before the command was given, a little man in a brown derby hat steps out of the crowd and says, there's no need to do this. The owner of the circus said, who are you and what, what's it to you anyway? He said, well, I'm just telling you, you don't have to do this. He said, man, get away. I've already sold tickets. We're going we're to shoot the elephant. He said, there's no need to do this. And I can prove that that elephant is okay. And so he asked the circus owner, he said, will you give me five minutes inside that cage with that elephant? He said, man, you're a fool. That elephant will kill you. He said, give me five minutes and I can show you that you're wrong. And so the circus owner figuring, well, this will be a spectacle. I'll probably make a few million more dollars getting people to uh, announce this publicly. And, and so he said, okay, go in there. The man walked in the elephant cage, and at first the elephant bowed up at him and started to charge the little man. The little man pulled off his hat and his coat and began to speak to the elephant quietly. And as he spoke, the elephant seemed to drop his guard and got real quiet. And Finally, the elephant walked up to the man gently. As the man spoke, people were listening, trying to say, what's he saying to that elephant? They couldn't understand him. And the elephant wrapped his trunk around the man's body gently and they went walking around strolling around the inside of that cage together as that elephant never offered to hurt the man he came out of the cage in a few minutes and the owner of the circus said what did you do with that elephant he said you see that elephant's from India he doesn't understand English English commands he's just homesick and he's speaks Hindustani and I spoke Hindustani to him and he saw that everything was okay he said you'll see a lot different elephant now but I'll instruct you to do this get you somebody that knows how to speak the Indian language to him and he'll be okay from now on the man had signed a waiver of release that he wouldn't be hold the circus responsible if the elephant did kill him and he had signed it Rudyard Kipling You know why some people are angry at God and some people are just unhappy with life? They're homesick. And they don't know what they're homesick for. They're homesick for God. 
You see, inside every man, woman, boy, and girl, there's an empty space. There's a God-shaped hole. And only God can fill that hole. Only the Lord Jesus Christ. The first step towards renewal and rejoicing is to understand what God has said to us. And he said very clearly in here that he wants to bring us home, bring us back to him. Oftentimes, God's voice is so faint we can't hear it because of the things we're doing, the places we're going, and things we're avoiding. I guess the the most well-known story of homecoming in the Bible is the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. The young man told his father he wants his inheritance. He doesn't want to wait for the old man to die. He wants his money now, and so he goes away and lives a life of riotous living, drinking, harlots, wine women, wine women and song, until his money's gone and his friends dropped him like a hot rock. Starving to death, he's hired by a man to feed his pigs, which a Jew's not supposed to have anything to do with pigs in the first place. In that hog pen, willing to eat the food of the hogs to survive, he has a lucent moment. His intellect kicks in for just a little bit. He thought to himself, you know, when I was at home, Dad took pretty good care of me. As a son, I had everything I needed. I don't suppose he'd ever take me back as a son again, but I think I'll go back and I'll pour out my heart and tell him how sorry I am and just see if he'll take me back as a hired servant. If he'll just do that, at least I can eat and have a place to sleep. So a young man on his way home down that long, long, lonely highway, getting his GPS back on track, when he gets to the walkway to the old man's house, he's rehearsing in his heart, what am I going to say to Dad? I'll tell him, Dad, I know I've done really wrong. I know I've embarrassed you and I've hurt you and, and I've been away from you and I chose the things of the world over you, but, but Dad, I don't expect you to make me back as a son, but if you'll just hire me as a servant, I'll be happy to serve with you. Before he could even get the words completely out of his mouth, he had his repentance speech all memorized. And before he could get it completed, the old man ran and wrapped his arms around the boy and said, Son, welcome home. Hey, servants, bring a ring and and rings and a robe and put some shoes on this boy's feet and kill the fatted calf. We're going to have a celebration. You know, God does that for you and me. We might have been away from him. You may not have ever come to him for salvation, but you know what you'll do? You may feel like you're a thousand miles away, but you take one step towards God, and he's going to come running to meet you. Arms outstretched. See, he loves you. And no matter how far you've wandered, or whether you've ever come to him for salvation in the first place, he says, welcome home, son. Welcome home, daughter. You're going to be one of mine again.